630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. All right, appreciate you tuning in tonight. Hope your weekend is off to a great start. Thank you so much for spending some of it here. We just had Rod Langway on the show, so that was our roster this week for Hockey Hall of Fame week. We had Lanny McDonald, Mark Howe, Phil Housley, and Rod Langway. And, uh, you know, we had a best-of show on Wednesday because of um, Remembrance Day. We didn't have a live show, but we had Serge Savard on that one, replaying an interview from a couple weeks ago. And as a bonus, we replayed an interview we had with Paul Molitor. So uh, six Hall of Famers in one week here on Inside Sports. That is pretty cool. Uh, uh, Answer, Cameron Smith, Thomas, and Johnson tied for the lead at the Masters. They are all nine under. Still got a a lot of guys still have to finish the second round tomorrow morning, and then uh, we'll see how it looks going in to round three, top 50 and ties. Major League Baseball today, very, very significant news. Kim Ng is the new general manager of the Miami Marlins, the first female general manager uh, well, obviously in Major League Baseball, but in any of the four major North American pro sports. She's 51 years of age. Uh, she spent most of her adult life working in Major League Baseball, and now she gets to be a, a GM. To discuss that and more from Sportsnet, from the Blue Jays broadcast on Sportsnet, it is our buddy Jamie Campbell. Jamie, welcome back to the show, man. How are you doing? I'm well, Reed. How are you? I'm doing great. Th- thanks for coming on again. I know we just had you on two or three weeks ago uh, when the World Series wound down. And uh, some stuff you were tweeting piqued my interest, and I want to get to that. But it's cool we're having you on today because, man, this this is really significant news about Kim Ng being hired by the Marlins. It's terrific news, and it's been a long time coming for her. I recall, goodness, almost 10 years ago, if I'm not mistaken, there was um, a reputable publication that did sort of a top 10 GMs in waiting, and she was one of them, and that was... I think about a decade ago. So um, what the Marlins have done here is significant. Um, I I hope that there's a barrier that's been broken that will, we'll see many more women um, reach high profile positions in major league baseball. Kim's not the first uh, to reach a high position in an executive situation with a major league club, but she's certainly the first to become a general manager. Um, but I am just thrilled to hear that uh, the Marlins have, have, have hired her. She's a, a, an extremely worthy candidate and probably, as I mentioned, should have been hired uh, some years ago. Does it, and hey, I, I know you'll tell me if I'm, if I'm fishing for an angle here, but does it take on even a little bit uh, extra weight that, that Derek Jeter was involved in the decision to make this hire? I, I guess it could, but but frankly, Kim's been um, you know she's been part of the landscape for a long time. My friend Dan Evans, who was the general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers for a time, first hired her years ago as an intern with the Chicago White Sox, and then she began this journey through um, you know the Major League Baseball office. Uh, she was with the Yankees for a brief time, the Dodgers for somewhere around the neighborhood of ten years and was always seemingly on short list for GM jobs. So I think it's significant that Jeter's, um, you know, done what he has done, um, you know, given that he's gone from Hall of Fame playing career to uh, owner and and, um, and and the guy who runs the show in Miami. And remember, this was an organization that 
seems like two, three years ago was um, as low as could possibly be in, in the big leagues, but they've built up a really good farm system. They have some incredible prospects, some of whom, like Sixto Sanchez, we saw excel this year. They got into the postseason. They won their wild card round. Um, it, it's nice to see this organization start to figure things out, and, and I hope Kim is the one who ultimately um, puts them in a position to be a, a contender for years to come. Jamie, I, I'm referenced we had you on right after the World Series ended, and one of mm-hmm. our discussion topics that night was Justin Turner, mm-hmm. and you said they got to do something. Uh, yeah. They didn't. They didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> so so what's what's going on how come they didn't well, do anything i mean does anything does anything that happens with respect to covid19 in the united states surprise you um i i don't know i, I look it's it, it's not like this is going away anytime soon in fact um you know and i'm not entirely sure what the situation's like in in edmonton in the north part of the province but I mean, it's it's getting pretty pretty serious here in in Toronto. Um, the numbers are escalating everywhere. Uh, what what is professional sports going to look like in December, in March and April when you know we we think there'll be spring training baseball and ultimately a regular season? Um, if the numbers continue to escalate and and for baseball to just sort of I don't know, excuse Justin Turner for what he did. I don't know if that sets any kind of a precedent if they're going to resume playing, as they hope to, in uh, late March or early April. So um, we'll see if there are repercussions here. But I I was obviously as surprised as you are to to find out that there really was no discipline for... uh, you know, for being pulled out of the game. I get it, right? I understand, and I spoke to a few um, a few players who'd won World Series years ago, and they sort of explained how difficult it would be to work your entire life for that moment, and then, you know, an hour before it's time to run onto the field and celebrate with your teammates, you're told to go and isolate in a room. I, I, I cannot imagine what that feels like. I can imagine how hard it would be. Um, but in my eyes, he's more of a hero if he stays put... Um, respects the fact that he tested positive and doesn't put anybody else at risk. Jamie Campbell joining us tonight on Inside Sports. You can follow Jamie on Twitter at Snet Campbell, short for Sportsnet Campbell, obviously. And that is why we got you on tonight. Because earlier this week I saw a tweet and I thought to myself, I wonder if Jamie would talk about this and I wonder uh, what the story behind this is. I'm just going to read the first sentence of that tweet. You wrote, friends, I'm selling some of my autographed cards. I don't want to read the rest because I want to hear Mm -hmm. this uh, in your own words because I I think there's a pretty cool uh, and a really good-hearted story behind this. Well, you know, I, I, um, I have an extensive collection and and all of the cards that I acquired uh, and ultimately got autographed all occurred somewhere between 1979 and 1988. I basically stopped collecting after the 1988 series I, or season. I had, uh, you know, a university education to get and ultimately a career to follow. Um, but I, I retained all of the cards I had signed in that span of time, and there are thousands of them autographed and. Um, during some of my drives around this province, this being Ontario, during uh, the lockdown, I was delivering PPE to many of our northern communities 
Um, and I was able to uh, come into contact with a couple of First Nations organizations, including one that's based out of Thunder Bay, Ontario. And uh, among the conversations I had um, with people up there, one revealed that they do not have significant funds to help some of the young kids and students on the reserves um, get education beyond the public schooling they're getting um, in their various territories. And I, and I just thought, well, you know, what, what can I do about that? There's got to be a way of doing something about that. And so I was able to establish a bursary for one of these First Nations called Matawa. And uh, so the, the way I'm going to raise the money for this bursary is to start selling off uh, a whole bunch of my cards. Now, I have an extensive collection. Um, you know, I'm not going to decimate the collection by selling these cards. There are some good ones that are going to go up for bids. Um, including, I heard you mention an interview you just had with Ron Langway, and I just realized I've got a Rod Langway's card signed and ready to go from, I think, about 1983. But uh, uh, my hope is to raise as much money as I can for this bursary, and then every cent of it will ultimately be at the uh, at the mercy of, of Mattawa, and they can use the funds as they see fit to help any of the students in their um, in their communities to to advance their education. So I'm looking forward to seeing um, seeing how it goes. The first card I, I put up for bids was a Dale Howard Chuck card, his rookie season that he signed for me about 35 years ago. And um, so far the bidding has been it has been well beyond my uh, my expectation. It's gonna it's gonna command a pretty significant dollar. So I'm pretty excited about it. Well, that's amazing. Good good for you for doing that, and thanks for for filling us in on on how this got going. Uh, I know a lot of people listening will probably be curious about the cards themselves. How how do you get so many of them signed? Because these a lot. It sounds like you got a lot of these signed before you got into broadcasting, and might have been you know, had access to a guy to to do a favor for you or something. I should probably write a book about it because it's a long story, but I was a a very industrious teenager um, who knew how to get from my hometown in Oakville, Ontario, into the downtown core of Toronto when he was about 12 years old. Um, Knew how to sit in the lobby of a five-star hotel and politely wait for hockey teams (laughs) and baseball teams to make their way to the bus. Um, and I was I was a constant feature in these hotel room or in these hotel lobbies, uh, and then onto the arena or the stadium, depending on winter or summer. Um, it's what I did when I was 12 and 13 and 14 year old, years old. It was my my passionate hobby, and it kept me close to the, those particular sports. And um, and one of the things I did while I was I was on this journey was to get as many of my bubblegum cards signed as I possibly could. So I have, like I said, I've got an extensive collection. But, you know, once I got to age 21 and was, you know, starting to forge a career in broadcasting, I I put it all aside. I kept everything, um, but I, I stopped doing it around 1988, 1989. So if, if you don't mind me asking, do you have an estimate on how many cards you have, whether they're signed or not? Uh, I have oh, about 2,300 autographed cards. Oh, 
Jeez, I'd okay. say it's probably a thousand of them are baseball and twelve hundred of them are hockey, and then there's probably um, you know a, a few hundred uh, football um, and golf. Believe it or not, I, they used to make PGA cards years and years ago, and I was um, a standard carrier at the Canadian Open for years, so I would <laughs> throw oh, a bunch geez. of them in my backpack and. And, um, in fact, right now, if you follow my Twitter account, Snet Campbell, I've got a Ben Crenshaw autograph card up there for bids as one of the cards that I've just put up in the last couple of days. Oh, okay. That's it's incredible. No, weekend. No, no, so when you moved to Edmonton, did you bring the cards or did you say, Mom and Dad, somebody... These are got to stay in your basement for a while. <laughs> one of my last, one of my last responsibilities when I left Oakville, Ontario, for the long drive to Edmonton in 1993, was to rent a storage unit, put all the cards in a storage unit, put a padlock on it, and I left it there for the four years that I was in Edmonton. <laughs> Oh, this is this is amazing! I, I yeah. love these stories about about uh, about collecting. And you know what? If, if you're talking about writing a book, there's a there's a young guy. Uh, he lives out there in Ontario somewhere. His name is Ken Reed. He likes writing the odd book about this type of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Ken lives about three blocks from me. <laughs> oh, jeez! In fact, <laughs> and I should probably not say this. He he. There's a very particular card that I was going to put up for auction on my uh, on my Twitter handle. Um, signed by Gary Carter, uh, the late Hall of Fame catcher, and Ken knew about this, and he called me and he said, "Can you, you know, if I give you, if I, if I make a donation to the the Jamie Campbell bursary, a significant donation, will you, you know, not put it up on <laughs> on up for auction?" I said, "Yes, Ken, I'll do that for you." So. <laughs> That's great. He's a good well, man. Car- he, uh, his his collection is is something to behold. I haven't seen it with my own eyes, but I've seen it on social media, and I mean he's got some unbelievable cards in his in his collection. Well, I'll tell you what. I, we've mentioned your your Twitter handle uh, Snet Campbell. You have uh, you know many more followers than I do, but I also retweeted that original tweet you made about this, so people can then jump into your account and see the thread and get more details on who you're helping and some of the cars that you're putting out there as well. Because it it, it is it is pretty cool. And that Ben Crenshaw one, like if there's going to be a golf cart of Ben Crenshaw, he should be putting, shouldn't he? Not just standing there smiling. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. This card in particular was. Was made in 1981 as part of a PGA series so I actually got it signed the year after he won his first Masters in 84 and then he won it again in 1995 and I should tell you this Edmonton story yes I locked all of my cards away uh, in a storage unit in Oakville but when I came back for Christmas one year I, I dug out a, an old baseball card from about 1968 or 69 from a pitcher by the name of Pete Rickert knowing that he was going to be the pitching coach for the Edmonton Trappers that spring. And it's the only time I ever brought one of my cards to Edmonton upon my return and uh, and hung on until the Trappers showed up uh, to start their 1995 season, I believe, and and had him sign it because I couldn't, you know, I couldn't resist knowing that I had these these old cards from the late 60s and that one of them was was ending, was going to end up working for the Trappers that one year. So oh. I remember oh. that fondly. That, that is amazing. Well, Jamie, hey, man, I love having you on the show. If, if 
I, I know sometimes a few years ago, uh, you and your broadcast crew would uh, would go across the country to tee up the Blue Jays season and, and go into studios. If we can ever do that in person again, or maybe they'll send me out to Toronto to do my show for a week. I don't know why they would do that. But we'll sit down for like an hour in person and just talk about sports cards and who knows what else. That would be a blast, man. That would, I'd love that. That would be wonderful, Reid. That is Jamie Cavill. Check it in tonight on Inside Sports. And, uh, yeah, check out his Twitter account and some of the cards he's put up and uh, and find a little bit more about who he's helping. He gave you the story, but it's all for a, for a great cause. We love having Jamie on the show. And good perspective, too, on, um, on Kimming being hired by the Miami Marlins. Inside Sports on Chet, back after the break. That was Jamie Campbell from Sportsnet and his autographed card collection. Some of it for sale. He has about 2,300 autographed cards, most of them hockey and baseball. Hall of Famer Rod Langway was on the show earlier. We'll have Brendan Escott coming up. AJHL starts tomorrow. I want to hit on that a bit with him. Kellen Kennedy's back at the 630 Chet Broadcasting Compound. Hey, now, I saw you tweeting today. Uh-oh. You're going to have to do this pretty quickly. What What is this wrestling news that everybody's all agog about? Uh, we are just... It's breaking as we speak right now, but it appears that uh, Zelina Vega, who was a very pivotal part of the Monday Night Raw program, uh, got released from her contract today. Uh, basically wants pro wrestling to unionize uh, because right now it's a, ver- it's a very independent contractor thing. And uh, WWE recently over the past couple of months has taken over uh, pro wrestlers' uh, ways of making money outside of pro wrestling, i.e. Uh, Twitch accounts, YouTube accounts, so on and so forth. Like, it's so multifaceted. But uh, basically, uh, Vega wants wrestlers to unionize so they can take back that uh, cash flow. Something to follow, Kellen. That'll yeah. keep me up this weekend. It's complicated, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Thanks for that, buddy. Okay, here we do. We're doing the news. We're doing the news. We're doing the weather. Brendan Escott coming up. You can chip in 780-496-0063. Back after the news. goodness i have live regular season hockey scores to report late in the first period spruce grove leading sherwood park one nothing after the first period no score bondyville and grand prairie late in the first period okotoks leads the calgary canucks 2-1 and the brooks bandits up 2-0 on the camaros kodiaks in the first period as the ajhl season gets underway i was a little nervous yesterday listening to premier kenny when he said uh you know team sports are being put on hold for a while and by the way i talked to a couple minor hockey parents today really tough for the kids that their season has been placed on pause but then kenny did later say does not affect junior 
college nor university sports. Well, there's not going on at the college or university levels, but the AGHL is able to play its regular season. To discuss that and more, he's the producer of Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. He's also the play-by-play voice of the Sherwood Park Crusaders. It is the one and only Brendan Escott checking in. Hey, Brendan, how's it going? Always a pleasure to talk to you, Reed. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing doing well, doing well. So tomorrow you're doing a game because you, you just do the home games usually, right? Yeah, that's right. Without the uh, without the radio deal, we're only obligated to broadcast the home stuff. So that's how we're set up for the Crusaders. You bet. Now, is it uh, is if everything video as well for these webcasts, or is it just audio? No, it is. Uh, it's video. It is available, uh, I think, exclusively on Hockey TV, and that's your uh, sub- subscription service. It gives you access to all sorts of leagues that you probably don't even know uh, you might have access to from all across North America. So, it's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool option. But you bet, we got video and all that. Okay, and who are the crew playing tomorrow? It is the uh, second half of the home and home. So the suburb series usually goes one in Spruce Grove and then one back in Sherwood Park. And that's that's how it's going to play out here to start the season as well. Okay. And remind us how the AJHL is is playing out this season. How is it going to work? How might it be different than a a non-COVID season? Well, essentially, there's no uh, forecasted end date or or set number of games for the regular season. Essentially, what they've done is said, here, um, you're going to play within your own divisions. There's going to be enough time between games uh, for you to sort of isolate that way. So it'll be uh, playing the same team each weekend, which is more often than not the case in a regular season, but it's uh, it's a requirement this year. So you get that, I think, the seven-day down period for sure between playing different teams. And uh, other than that, sort of the teams are up to their own devices in terms of how they're doing their testing and their protocols and, and that sort of thing. I know uh, with the restrictions in Strathcona County, in particular and uh with the rink it's all it's a bit of a maze to get in the building and half of it sectioned off for the fans the other half of it sectioned off for us uh us workers within the 50 person cohort so it's uh it's a little bit more barren of a rink certainly was during the exhibition schedule but excited to uh to get some regular season action flowing out there at the sherwood park arena tomorrow night Okay, you, you you brought up something interesting there. There's there's no end date. That's been something I've speculated about that maybe the NHL doesn't release a full schedule when they start. And we were hearing this week that maybe the NHL will leave a couple weeks between the end of the regular season and the start of the playoffs in case games have to be pushed back and rescheduled. So does the AJHL like how many games have they scheduled? Do they have a do they have a target that they want to get to? What can you tell us there? Um, I can tell you with certainty, schedule has gone through the end of this month, uh, right through the through December. Uh, I think where it starts to uh, is the new year is where you're going to find maybe a resetting period, uh, if you will. And we've, like, yeah, I definitely have games up until mid December scheduled. So, uh, other than that, Reed, honestly, we we haven't heard too much out of the league as to what their plan is for a length of the season or, or a downtime between playoffs or any of that. And it seems like, uh, especially given the fact that when you look around the rest of the country, I mean, there's Manitoba has shut things completely down. I know the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League, the equivalent over there, is still going to try and push forward. But uh, 
it's a very circumstantial thing, and I think that they're going to keep treating it as such. So I understand why at this point they're not marrying themselves to even a target, uh, but rather just sort of a, a take-it-as-we-go stretch here and, and see how the first couple of weeks operate. And because it's unprecedented, there's really no reason that they can't do any of what they're doing at this point, I suppose, if you want to look at it that way, too. Okay, handicap the the teams for us a little bit if you can. I know sometimes it's it's tough in junior. There can be a lot of turnover. Sometimes you're not sure how younger players are going to progress. Certainly, the last several years, uh, I feel like uh, I've been talking about Brooks and uh, and Sherwood Park a lot, and I think a little bit of Okotoks. You'll correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, who who are looking like favorites this year? Yeah, we'll I'll start in the south, and the Brooks Bandits went eight and two in their ten uh, in their ten exhibition games with a plus seventeen goal differential. So they seem to be uh, pretty par for the course. A bunch of college commits, a lot of recruits out of uh, the United States and the eastern part of the country. So Brooks is is up to their old devices. They'll be challenged certainly again by the likes of Okotoks, as you mentioned. Jack Works, uh, I expect to be a, a name that you'll hear. Uh, he is committed to Denver now, the Denver Pioneers, as of a couple of weeks ago, or even maybe this week, as Jack works. So there's some solid players to keep an eye on down in the south. I'm certainly a lot more familiar with the north, and if the uh, exhibition records are any indication, then Drayton Valley, who I think was an underdog going into last year's playoffs and never really had the opportunity to prove it, I think Eric Thurston's group down there is uh, is some team to be reckoned with in the North Division. A lot of returning players, and so when you have your teams like the Spruce Grove Saints and the Sherwood Park Crusaders that turned over basically seven, eight, nine pieces of their top-end talent, you know, a big portion of, of the offense from last year, well, now you've got a, a team like a Drayton Valley or even a Lloyd Minster, sort of the same themes, where this is the second or third year in a row with the same coach, the same group of guys, and the records uh, early in the exhibition season, it, it was nothing sort of dominant for Drayton Valley at 6-1, and one, and, uh, and they were going toe-to-toe with Spruce Grove, who, as you know, Reed, is a perennial contender. So if you want to place any money on what you saw in the exhibition campaign, Sherwood Park did top the uh, the North Division with uh, an eight and two records, but or yeah, an eight and two record in their ten games. Straight and Valley six and one had the higher winning percentage. It's going to be fun. It's as wide open as we've seen it in a long, long time. All right, Brendan Escott joining us tonight on Inside Sports. He calls play-by-play for the Sherwood Park Crusaders. The AJHL season is underway tonight. Brendan's also the producer of Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. I should also mention you're our double E sideline reporter, but unfortunately, uh, nothing doing with that <laughs> this year. Well, you could have been doing the West Final coming up this Sunday. That would have been cool. Um, but for, from the NHL, uh, I you know I listened to Elliot on on your show today. He's always really good. I mean, he's so level-headed. He's so informed. Um, and you can just kind of trust what he's saying. I, I was interested when Bob said, what do you really think? And, and Elliot said he still kind of thinks January 15th is more realistic than uh, than January 1st. We'll see, but clearly it, it appears, at least for the next week or so, the NHLs and the PA is going to try to figure out how to make January 1st work. Yeah, I agree with you on that front. And if you look at how the NBA borrowed from the NHL in the first iteration of how do we get games back out there? Well, now it's the NBA who's set the precedent and said, we we always have games on Christmas, so we're going to make sure that our regular season starts on December 22nd. So if you look at the NHL and how they're going to have to handle this, basically the trade-off will be, uh, if they're able to come to terms, 
that the players would have to be cool with having training camp over the Christmas holidays, and then you drop the puck in one of the first couple days of January, because you have to have a two-week training camp, essentially, or perhaps, I believe they're, uh, for the teams that didn't qualify for the 2014 playoff, Reed, they get an extra week, I believe, uh, of training camp. So, you know what, like, I think ideally, if the players are going to be on board with it, it makes sense to start it a little bit earlier, but then again, I say you look at how other organizations are handling this um, across the board, hockey-wise in particular, and it's sounding like February. Now, I don't think that gives them enough wiggle room to get a a regular season off in time to have everything function for the following year. And I know that we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves right now, but um, it's going to be about, do you you know, are you guys okay making the sacrifice of having that camp run through the holidays? and, And as such, maybe they're ready to go a little bit earlier. And if not, what is two extra weeks worth of a wait to get that game back on the ice? Well, July July fifteenth is when they want to be done, right? Because then sure. the Olympics yeah. start shortly after, and they can get in a draft and and start free agency. So I think we're looking at you know forty eight, maybe fifty six games is the most realistic number right now. How do you think it would be? I'll ask you this: A texture texted it earlier and basically said, "Reed, I love the Battle of Alberta. I'm not sure I love the Battle of Alberta nine or ten times in three or four months." <laughs> Do you think there would be anything? Because I think as a one-off, yeah, it might be weird to play Toronto three times in four days and, and you know, keep going against Calgary over and over again. But, but I think as a one-off, just the Canadian division and everything that might mean to people and how it might be a welcome distraction for people in these awful times, I don't know. I think, I think I'd be okay with it. I see where the texture is coming from, but to me, you know, you see that kind of schedule in baseball, but just look even on a back-to-back, let alone in a playoff series, the kind of hockey that gets played when you have two teams butting heads over the course of a few nights. And and then you factor in the pride that, that goes on. And, and, you know, it's one thing when there's Zach Cassian and Matthew Kachuk out there taking runs at each other and then dropping the gloves. Pride is what happens when you watch Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Sean Monaghan and the heat of the emotion of that kind of battle shed the gloves and throw hands because, you know, whatever instance in the game called for it. So if you're telling me that we get, and yeah, okay, it's only for one year, maybe that makes it all the more special. I think you're hinting at that. And I would agree with that too. I'd love to see it. I would love to see what kind of little battles uh, that we could get brewing. And I'd love to see more of the Eastern Conference teams, if I'm honest. Like, it's a sellout at Rogers um, every time that one of them is in is in town and has been probably since the start of, of Edmonton Oilers hockey at the National Hockey League level. So why not have more exposure of that out west and conversely another chance for everyone out east to look at what the Oilers bring to the table? Yeah, there's so many what ifs. There's so much speculation, and I, I wonder too, Brendan. If if and look, this is like sometimes, as you know, we say something, and maybe someone has kind of told us or, or tipped us off, or we've talked to somebody close to it. This is not one of these things. This is just totally me being crazy, Wilkie here. But I wonder when it gets to the postseason, if they if you cross over with another division to increase the variety of opponents. So let's say the Oilers finished first in the Canadian division. They wouldn't play fourth in the Canadian. They'd go play fourth in the central, right? Just to, so you got to play more teams on the road to the Stanley cup. Like there's not, to me, there's almost nothing that is off the table as they're planning this season and postseason. 
Exactly. And that's what I was alluding to earlier is that, you know, whatever they try right now, because it's unprecedented, it's, it's, it is worth a shot as long as there was an appropriate amount of thought put into it. And, you know, that seems to be the one gripe that we've been getting on Oilers now from texters is, is just that when you have the all Canadian division, of course, they're going to start knocking each other out of playoff contention, but maybe a good opportunity for the league to just go by points percentage in general, you know, make it a Western conference one through eight or however, you know, there would be ways to tinker with it. But I do think, uh, yeah, that an effort would need to be made to sort of balance it so that we're not in the situation, which we almost inevitably seem to be anyway, but it comes down to Stanley cup final time and Canadians have maybe checked out a little bit more than they would if there was at least a Canadian team in the final. Well, another thing the, the division format allows them to do is if something happened, to, it would be to play an unequal number of games, right? If, I mean, if, if there were too many COVID postponements to reschedule, then could one division um, play 56 games and one plays 50 and then for the playoffs they would just stay in i mean I don't, I'm, I'm really going down a what if but you know what i'm saying like i just we get, we're gonna have to adjust to things we haven't seen before and 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 then just roll with it anyway uh what time's your game tomorrow uh 7 15 puck drop sherwin park arena and on my hockey tv okay well have a good call and thanks for checking in tonight man i love having you on the show yeah it's always my pleasure reed thanks so much that is Brendan Escott calling the Sherwood Park Crusaders game tomorrow night. He's also the producer of uh, Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Uh, Richard says, I don't see the big deal if there were nine Battle of Alberta games in the regular season. If they play three games in four nights, that's only three series in roughly four months. Put it that way, it doesn't seem like much at all. And besides, the playoff series has seven games straight through. So I think it would be just as exciting. That is from Richard. 749, take a quick break. It's 7.52, show's winding down, and then The Mandalorian. That's how I'm spending my Friday night with Baby Yoda. The EE football team hosting its first online 50-50. It's sponsored by Sentinel Storage. Now, this is going to happen on November 22nd. It's the final day of the E 14 Days of Grey Cup presented by The Brick. Now, this is really cool. Proceeds in support of the Winifred Stewart Association's Joey Moss Memorial Fund. So this is really cool. Uh, the net proceeds of the draw after the winner's share is awarded will support Winifred Stewart's Joey Moss Memorial Fund. Really cool. So that is uh, November 22nd. It's going to open at 10 a.m. and go until 8 p.m. And then they'll draw the winning ticket shortly after that and it'll be at esks.com slash 50 
fifty for that. Uh, what's it going to be? One dollar or pardon me, five dollars for one ticket. You can go all the way up and spend fifty dollars for two hundred tickets. So uh, doing something in Joey Moss's memory, that's pretty cool. And it is uh, Green and Gold Great Cup Week on Inside Sports next week. Don't forget on the coaches show on Monday, we're going to uh, Dave and Morley will announce the winner of that six thirty Chet Ultimate Virtual Great Cup House Party, and we'll have uh, we'll have some pretty big names on the show who played for the team over the years, starting with receiver Brian Kelly on Monday. I'm really looking forward to catching up with him. Okay. Uh, a little bit more here from Elliot Friedman's interview with Bob earlier today. He uh, says there is a mutual appetite players and owners for NHL hockey. So, you know, like you pay now or you pay later. It, it's, it's that simple. Um, but, um, you know, like put it this way. I, I think the players want to play. I think the league wants to play like, like, the people I talked to since the call yesterday say you can tell that the commissioner wants to play. It's, it's obvious. You, for one thing, you can't sit out. Number two, as you said, number two, the NBA players have a stake in the ground. Where's the NHL stake in the ground? Now, who knows if the NBA is even going to be able to do this, but at least they have their dates. What are our dates? So, yes, I think there's that. I do think, Bob, you're totally right that there are our teams that look at this and say it doesn't work for us and i do believe the commissioner has talked to a lot of those owners and is hammering out what their concerns are and what his vision is number one this is the last year of the u.s tv deal i think Bettman wants to get that done and get into the next deal which hopefully can help some of the financial concerns so that's very big number two and one of the reasons you're starting to hear a lot more about um games being played in the local rings as opposed to in hubs is that you know there's local sponsorship deals you know for example naming rights deals like some of these companies that have names on the buildings are saying now hold on a second we're not getting our money's worth out of this because we're getting no exposure so you want to deal with that i you know yes like you know i tweeted out a story today the owner of the golden state warriors california is one of the states that everybody was really worried about you might not be able to play there well now it looks like you're going to be able to play there but the lakers sent a note to their fans out you're not coming to games for the foreseeable future the owner of the golden state warriors a very bright guy he's got a background in this kind of thing and he's talking about a rapid fire test that he wants to pitch that he thinks will be able to let him uh, a goal of 50 percent capacity now i don't know if that's going to happen or not bob i hope it works but i'm not an expert on the sciences but the one thing he said was if we don't have fans for two years there's going to be no nba and if the nba is thinking that everybody's thinking that so that's that's part of the battle here that we're dealing with all right, that is Elliot Friedman from Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. He's always right on top of things, and you can get that full interview by getting the Oilers Now podcast or going to the show page on 630chet.com. Same deal if you want to pe- uh, check out anything you missed or want to hear again here on Inside Sports. Okay, there's the hobo rolling in. That means I got to get out. Thanks to Dave Campbell. He's the producer of the show. Kellen Kennedy, your studio operator tonight. You heard from Brendan Escott, Jamie Campbell, and Rod Langway this evening. Thanks for listening. My name's Reed. Take care.
Friday the 13th. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.